looking forward to seeing the door. He says that God made heaven and earth, the rest of the thing made in China. <laughs> so too bad you got to pull out with it. <laughs> well, this morning I want to touch on a very difficult topic. Uh, it's talking about money. It's talking about wealth because we come to this passage in James chapter 5, 1 to 6, that talks about wealth. Jesus talked more about wealth and money than any other topic in the Bible. Out of the 38 parables in the Bible, 16 of them talks about money, how to handle wealth and how to handle money. And so I thought since Jesus made it such an important topic to talk about, we need to address that topic as well. Uh, since it is the, the text that is in front of us in James chapter 5, 1 to 6. Before the amalgamation, every year, uh, once a year, during the mission month, I always teach on uh, Bible, biblical views on money. We need to have a correct view of money. Just like the Bible informs us of many views about love, about marriage, about Life here on earth, Bible has a view on all things. And money is very important topics that we need to talk about. It's a sensitive topic. I hope I tread it carefully. Uh, I hope I won't offend anyone. Let me begin with uh, the, the title of the sermon. is called When Wealth is Sinned. Leo Tolstoy was a Russian uh, novelist uh, many years ago. And he had this quote that says, Wealth is a great sin in the eyes of God. And poverty is a great sin in the eyes of man. Let me tell you I disagree with him. Uh, wealth is not a great sin in the eyes of God. Uh, it depends on how you manage it, how you use it. Just like in everything else, it's depending on what is the motivation behind, how you manage it, how you use it. Some people are born rich. What to do? Some people inherited millions of dollars. What to do? They're just born rich. Uh, so wealth is, 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 is not a great sin in the eyes of God. Uh, another quote by a Dutch guy uh, Christian humanist and philosopher, he said, great eagerness in the pursuit of wealth, pleasure or honor cannot exist without sin. Great eagerness in the pursuit of wealth, pleasure or honor cannot exist without sin. And therefore, Jesus has some very strong words about how to handle wealth. And most of the time in the Bible, when Jesus mentioned about money or wealth, it is often comes with warning. It is often come with caution on how we use it because money is very powerful. As you know, the famous words that Jesus says as well say, you cannot serve both God and money, right? And remember, God is comparing apple with apple. He's not comparing apple with orange. So money has the status of God. It is like at the level of God. Level gives you power. I mean, money gives you power. It gives you ability to make things happen in a sense, you know. Uh, limited things, of course, uh, in the schemes of, of, of lives. 
so, so we have to tread of it carefully. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to read the passage to you. I want to give you three points. And uh, second and third point, there are some sub-points. Uh, second point, I have four sub-points. And then the third point, I have two sub-points. I give you the point so that at least you know where I'm going to end. Don't worry if I touch on the, some a bit longer. I always like traffic light that has countdown, you know, 20 seconds. Or it makes you a little bit more patient, you know. So I'd like to highlight to you where I'm going so that you can uh, be a bit more patient. Uh, let me just read to you the text first, and then I'll unpack for you. Now listen, you rich people, weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. Your wealth has rotted, and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Look, the wages you fail to pay, the workers who mow your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the innocent one who was not opposing you. So let me start with the first point. The first verse in James chapter 5 is a warning to the wealthy. I suppose you can make a connection between the last passage and an immediate text. Because last passage talk about facing the future, about boasting about tomorrow, the rich people boasting about tomorrow and all that. But here they come down and James warned them about their eternal future. Warning to the wealthy, the first verse says, Now listen, you rich people, weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. The Bible never says that love of money is the root of all evil. Uh, uh, money is the root of all evils. The Bible says the love of money is the root of all evil. The love of money is the root of all evils. Not money is the root of all evils. How do you know if you love money? How do you know? I'll give you some, some points to consider, alright? How do you know if you love money? See whether it fits you. If it fits you, means you love money, alright? Firstly, you spend more time thinking about how to get money or, than how to do a good job. Your job is how to make more money. You're always thinking about that. Secondly, you know you love money when you never have enough. You know you love money when you never have enough. In other words, you are never satisfied. You haven't learned in whatsoever state to be content. So you're never satisfied. You always feel that you never have enough money. Then money is your God. Thirdly, you love money when you resent giving it away. If you resent giving it away, if you resent giving some money to the building fund, you get angry, you get upset, you know, that means money is your God. It kills you to give it away because you are in the mode of using all your money to make sure you are getting something out of it. And the idea of giving it away is very distasteful. And so a person who loves money holds it for his own gratification. To give it away, you'll be having this resentment. So if you love money, you resent to give it away. And lastly, here's the ultimate test whether you love money or not. You love money 
when you sin to obtain it. You will go to the great length of sinning to obtain it. You will break the law to obtain it. You will cut corners. You will do all things in, within your power to get money. That means you love money. Now, I'm not talking about people who are desperate for money, for, for, for basic needs, that you have to think about money, you have to think about how to bring in the money to support. I'm not talking about that kind of context, all right? So Le James' language is very graphic in this first verse. His warning is very clear. He says, weep and wail because the misery that is coming on you. And the word used for weep is the same word used for describing the weeping of Peter when he denied Jesus three times. It's the same word that is being used. When Peter denied Jesus three times, he wept. He literally wept. And here is a warning. You better weep like that if you... Uh, I'm going to list it out. What, what did he do? what they did wrong. But the first verse is just to underscore the warning against the rich people. And the word will or how is the word will or how. You know, howling? Lament with house of misery. The picture is sobbing lament, punctuated with repeated howlings as they face the final Judgment, And as I think of that verse, weeping and howling away, wailing away, we ought to let the subjective horror of this seep into our soul. So this would suggest a solemn, forgotten truth that wealth is not an advantage, but rather, sometimes can be a spiritual handicap if you don't know how to handle it well. It is not an advantage because more life has been this. Success has destroyed more lives than failures. And so wealth is one part of it that has destroyed many, many, many lives. And many Christians allow wealth to uh, cause them derail their Christian faith as the, the parable of the sower talk about that as well. And Jesus, towards the end of the Sermon on the Mount, said no one can serve two masters. I just mentioned it just now. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And then in answer to your question which precipitated the parable of the rich fool in Luke chapter 12, Jesus also said, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Again, he said, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. I've heard all kinds of confession before in my life as a pastor, but I've never heard someone coming to me and say, Pastor, please pray for me. I'm very greedy. I've never heard about that because it is very well concealed. And then the parable, Jesus towards the end also says, for where your treasure is, where your heart will also be. Your treasure will always lead where your heart will go, in a sense. And then, of course, not to mention the Mark chapter 10, when Jesus talked about the rich young rulers turn away because he has such great wealth. He said, give it up and follow me. And he refused and he walked away because he had great wealth. And then Jesus turned around and said to his disciples and said, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. How hard it is for the kingdom, for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. And then the disciples were amazed and they said, 
how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. And then Jesus, and then the disciples said, then, then, who, then who can do that? And then Jesus went on to say, well, we've meant this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. God make it possible even for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The rich ruler think he can't, but actually he can't. And then Mark chapter 4, parable of the sower, uh, he says, Still others like seeds sown among thorns hear the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. The deceitfulness of wealth. So there's a warning there. The first thing James did was to warn these wealthy landlords, owners who have been abusing their power against the weak, against the poor. And James had a very strong warning against this kind of people. So that's the first point. Warning against the rich people, the wealthy people. The second point I want to give to you is worldly wealth mismanagement. In the next few verses, until verse 6, from 2 to 6, James go on and tell us and warn us four things that these people mismanage their wealth. And help that we hope that we won't fall into this trap of mismanaging the wealth or the money that God has entrusted to you and I. So the first one is hoarding. Hoarding. He said, your wealth has rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. Look at those words. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. The first problem that James identifies can be summarized as a hoarding of wealth. They hoard it. Their riches have rotted and their garments are moth-eaten. Rotted riches and moth-eaten clothes, pictures, having so much wealth that these things are not used. That's why they are hoarding it. And therefore, their wealth has rotted already. That means it's not used. Therefore, it's rotten, right? I mean, food, if you eat, it won't rot. But if you keep it for too long, it will rot. They have so much wealth that their wealth rots and goes to waste. I can't remember who is the guy that, uh, that recently he was caught, the, the, the drug trafficker, the, the richest guy in South America. What is his name? Anybody can tell me his name? Eh? Is that him? Uh, who was it that... He, he has so much money, he has so much money, about billions, literally billions of dollars are eating away by mouse and rats. Literally, not, not metaphorically. His cash literally are eaten because he has so much money. So he's hoarding wealth. And so the first thing that James warned against these people uh, that you mismanage the wealth that God has given to you is that you hoard it. You hoard it so much. And we hoard on a small scale anyway. I mean, if I go to my pantry, there are a lot of food that we buy. Some people buy food when it's cheap. They actually don't, they don't need it. 
they at the back of their mind they think they will need it some days, but they don't. Uh, some people buy only food when they need it. There's always a quarrel at home, you know. People buy things when it's cheap, when they don't need it. Uh, but never mind. Sometimes it's good to waste five dollars than to fight. It's okay. It's not worth the emotional energy. It's okay, man. It's okay, you know. It's okay to 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 waste a ten dollars. Don't don't fight over ten dollars over over food. Save your emotional energy. Pick your battles. Uh, go to the pantry or your cupboard. Plenty of clothes. I can go through my cupboard. There are plenty of clothes that I don't, no longer use, but I still, you buy so many clothes, I realize I still wear the same clothes. Always wear the same jumper. I don't know why. I've got 10 jumpers. I always wear the same one. Uh, we have so much. We should give it away. I have so many books that I am beginning to give my books away already. A couple of years ago, I gave three books away every Sunday. And once my office is up, I'm going to bring it here. I'm going to lay it all. Everybody can come and take the books all away. I don't want my books anymore. I have a few thousand books I don't want anymore. Take it away. No need anymore. Uh, let people benefit from it. Let people use it. Let people enjoy it. They're sitting there collecting dust. Nobody is reading anymore. So the first thing is hoarding. God give us wealth not to hoard. I'll tell you what we're supposed to do later on. Secondly, defrauding. It is also a sin when we defraud. Look at uh, verse 4. These people, they hoard the well. Is it the wages you fail to pay the workers who mow your fields are crying out against you? The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. The Old Testament consistently, way back when the people enter into the promised land, God gave them the law how to govern the people in Deuteronomy repeatedly warns against defrauding workers. You must be fair to them. Pay them the right wage and all that. Look at uh, Deuteronomy 24. Do not take advantage of a hired worker who is poor and needy, whether that worker is a fellow Israelite or a foreigner residing in one of your towns. Pay them their wages each day before sunset. Because they are poor and they are counting on that money to survive. And therefore, it is an issue when James say that to, to warn them, you fail to pay the workers who mow your fields. They are crying out against you because the wages are being paid daily and they need the money to survive. And the Leviticus, oh sorry, I never finished the verse. Is it otherwise? They may cry to the Lord against you, and you will be guilty of sin. This is in Old Testament. God gave the law to the Israelites how to govern the land. And then in Leviticus 19, he said the same thing. Do not defraud or rob your neighbor. Do not hold back the wages of a hired worker overnight. You have to pay at the end of the day because they need it. And in Proverbs chapter 3, said, Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to act. Do not say to your neighbor, come back tomorrow and I'll give it to you when you already have it with you. But the landlords, the wealthy landlords, the wicked wealthy landlord were doing this to the poor. So James was very mad and indignant. As I already said, these people, they were poor. They were living hand to mouth. And a day without wages was a day without food. And, the, and then another thing to note is, 
that they, he is withholding wages to this man during harvesting time. It's not even when times are tight. It's during harvesting time. When the barns were full and the wine red in press, landlords were doing this to these poor workers when they were having plenty. It's not like, you know, some employer, they're struggling to pay because they go through difficult times or whatever. It's not. And James had issue with this kind of people. And here it also say the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. The word the Lord Almighty is actually the Lord of hosts. And it is the same one that, remember, that David slay the Goliath? And this is what it says. It's the same word that is being used. David said to the Philistine, You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord of hosts. It's the same one, the Lord Almighty. The God of the armies of Israel, whom you defile. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hands. And then, outstring, boom, Goliath collapsed. And it is the same God, the Lord of hosts, that's being used in James to indicate that these rich, wealthy landlords who abuse their power and money against these poor people, they will be slain down like Goliath collapsed. And the prophetic cry is against any person who reaps riches at the expense of the poor people. And so Christian employer, any Christian employer, it is far better to pay your employees what they are worth and to provide good benefits than to increase your giving to Christian mission. You can't sting on giving to your staff so that you can give more to mission or give more to Christian causes or give to building funds at the expense of these people. There is no such thing. You can't do that, James said. You go against these people, the Christ will reach the door Almighty, and God is going to bring judgment against this kind of people. So all who employ others must themselves, if, ask themselves if there are any voices calling out to God because of them. Because of them. The third thing that wealth is a sin is not just uh, a hoarding, defrauding, but self-indulgence. Self-indulgence. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. So the third way we sin with our wealth is by self-indulgence living. Now this is quite difficult. What is self-indulgence? How, when is it that you actually cross the line? Because the Bible also says in 1 Timothy, you should enjoy the fruit of your labor. You work hard all your life, you should be able to enjoy the fruit of your labor. There's nothing wrong with enjoying the fruit of our labor. It's a decent means of accumulating income. You save for holidays and buy a nice house and a good car. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. The Bible clearly says that we should enjoy the fruit of our labors. But there is also a point where enjoying our wages crosses the line into self-indulgent living. There is a point where it crosses into living in excess. There is a point when we cross from enjoying life as a Christian to resting our hope and finding our pleasures in the material things of the world. 
of course, I don't believe I can tell you where that line is because God does not state that, that line explicitly. All of us make a different amount of money. All of us have different financial responsibilities. All of us are at different places on the financial spectrum of life. And all of us can live with less. No one can judge based on their externals. No one should judge because of the house they live in or based on the cars they drive. I don't want to go down that pathway. I think it's best to leave it to God. I think it's better to leave it to God to judge because specifically in, in uh, uh, James chapter 4, towards the end, James also did tell us that there is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? Particularly Christians, we better don't judge uh, Christians. We leave it to God. Make sure you know that at the end of the day, we give account to God on our own lives. And the rest, we don't have to bother about that. There are times for sumptuous celebration, holidays, birthdays, or anniversaries. There are times to feast and lavish uh, our loved ones. But a life of conspicuous consumption, I think that's the word, conspicuous consumption is not Christian's. Do not be fooled by the prosperity preacher who says to you, you are children of the king, live like one. Don't believe that. That is not of the scripture. You are the child of the king, you know, you can live like one. You know, what kind of garbage theology is that? Right throughout scripture, it's always well associating with wealth. It's always about warning how to handle it because wealth has a great potential to lead you down a very serious, serious pathway. So don't believe that kind of preaching. Other aspects maybe, but not certainly in terms of the way we live our lifestyle. Fourthly, oppression. Oppression is the fourth way that James warned against the wealthy, rich people in abusing their wealth. There's oppression. He said, you have condemned and murdered the innocent one who was not opposing you. Well, I don't, I don't think uh, he actually literally means murdering someone. It is in the in the context of uh, bringing the rich one to the court of law, uh, but they are so rich they even can have influence in the court of laws and therefore they still have their way. So James says you murder someone by literally taking away their means of making a living. The powerful control the courts the poor could not oppose them because they had no way to use the system and thus they were helpless. So those are the four ways that uh, James listed down in this passage quite straightforward on how wealth can be a sin. When we hoard it, when we defraud, self-indulgence, oppression. Let me just move down to my final point on godly wealth management. So how should we manage then? James didn't tell us. Of course, later on, next week, I'll carry on this passage talking about being patient because God ultimately is in charge. We don't always think that we, can, we are the one that is in charge of the world. God is sovereign. He is in charge. He, his timing is always perfect. 
But I want to move to another passage in 1 Timothy chapter 6 and give you two points on, uh, on godly wealth management. So how should we manage, how should we tame money and wealth that God has given to us? Have you heard of the story about these uh, three fellows? These three Christians, they were talking about giving money to God. And the first person said, this is my trick. I, I draw a circle on the ground and I toss all my money up. And if the money fell into the circle, then the money I give to God. And the, those money that is outside of the circle, then I will uh, uh, keep for myself. And of course, when he throw, he throw like this, you know. And the circle probably is a very small one. The second one said, wow, I, I may be better. I draw my circle in the front too. I throw my money up. And now my mind is the other way out. If the money is in that, in outside is uh, where I'll give to God. The inside, I will keep it. And then the third one is the best. The third one says, oh, mine is the best. I throw all my money up and I tell God, God, whatever money you want, you catch it. <laughs> the rest of the money came down, I'll keep it. This is how the way you want to give to God. But there is a better way. The first point I want to give to you is acknowledge that everything we have is a gift from God. I think this is a very, very good advice for myself. I often see myself, whatever God has given to me, even my life, my time, my talents, my everything, my whole being is a gift from God. And when it's a gift from God, you're more willing to share. Acknowledge that everything we have is a gift from God. When people have money, they often tend to say, I don't need God. Why in the world would I need God for? I have everything I want and I have everything I need. Who is the Lord anyway? There's nothing like economic success to make one feel overconfident. The more money a person makes and the more successful he or she becomes, the more the person will think he or she got it because they were so smart or so disciplined and this makes the person feel so overconfident and proud. Bernard of Clavis says, To see a man humble under prosperity is one of the greatest rarities in this world. To see a man hu humble under prosperity is one of the greatest rarities in the world. Very rare do you see People who are extremely rich and yet at the same time extremely humble. So the first point is acknowledge that everything we have is a gift from God. Look at what David said. David praised the Lord in the presence of the whole assembly saying, Praise be to the you, Lord, the God of your father Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Yours, Lord, is, your, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor. For everything in heaven and earth is yours. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. Wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things. In your hands are strength and power to exalt and to give strength to all. Now, our God, we give you thanks and praise your glorious name. David acknowledged, even as king who owns all things in a sense, he still acknowledged that wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things. You are the owner of the entire universe. Psalms 24 said, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Everything belongs to the Lord. Job chapter 41, 
Who has a claim against me that I must pay? God say. Who can say that? Everything under heavens belongs to me. And even James 1.17 that we have already covered, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. Every good and perfect gift is from above. And so the first thing to help us manage our wealth and our money is an acknowledgement that everything that we have, the money we have, yes, you may have the intellect, you may have the ability, you may have the skill, you are the one that employs that knowledge that you have in making the money, but you have, still have to acknowledge that your intelligence comes from God. The ability that you have also comes from God. Yes, you may be the one physically making it happen, but the ability and your whole being as a person is a gift from God, coming from God. God is the one that endow that kind of intelligence, that kind of ability, that kind of intelligence in you. And therefore, we still have to acknowledge that. And that's why we say grace. We say thank you, Lord, for food. Even down to the most basic necessity of life, you say, God, thank you for providing. For it's an acknowledgement that God is the giver. God is the provider. And therefore, I love home dedication. Just a couple of weeks ago, I did a home dedication because I tell people, say, home de dedication is an acknowledgement that is a gift from God. Yes, you may be the one who fork the bill, pay, earn, and all that, build it. But at the end of the day, you have to say, God, thank you for providing me this house. So the first thing to handle well a money is to recognize and acknowledge, build that inbuilt into our heart and our soul, that all that we have, all that we are, is a gift from God. And when it is a gift, we are more willing to share. Is it not true? When it's a gift from God, we are more willing to share. Secondly, and lastly, is be generous and invest in God's work. Those of us who are blessed with wealth beyond our need have a responsibility to share generously with the less fortunate. We would view our wealth as a gift from God entrusted to us to carry out His work on earth. We are not the owner, we are a good steward. We must move from ownership to stewardship. That whatever you have, God just entrusts it to you for a short time. That's all. Stewardship, not owner. You don't own it. You're managing it. That's all. And when we're managing it, you're constantly say, God, I have to give account to you because you have entrusted me with this wealth. I need to manage this wealth for you, wisely, investing in eternity, investing in your work. Just like some people whose profession is to help people to invest money. Because you have a client, you have a big group of people you need to report to. So same thing, God has entrusted us, not just only with wealth, our talents, our gifts, that we have to learn to invest it wisely. And hopefully it will yield some dividends while you are here on earth for the Lord. 1 John chapter 3 is very clear. John said, if anyone has material possessions and he sees his brothers or sisters in need but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? 
It doesn't make sense. You can talk until the cow come home that love that you love God and God loves you. But if you see someone really in need and yet you would help what you have to help, then how can the love of God be in him? It's just plain, simple English. Anybody can understand. You cannot claim that God that you have the love of God in you if you have seen someone in need and yet you don't want to help. And the main text comes from this, about being generous. It says, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. Is that not true? Did you know that in 2008, uh, during the GFC, you know how many people committed suicide? Let me give you a few. David Kellerman, acting chief financial officer of Freddie Mac, hanged himself in his basement. Stephen Goods, the chief executive of Sheldon Good, a leading U.S. real estate auction firm, shot himself in the head behind the wheel of his red Jaguar. Thierry Velut, oh, I can't even pronounce his name, a French guy, a money manager who invested the wealth of many of Europe's royal and leading families and who had lost 1.4 billion of his clients' money in the Murdoch's Ponzi scheme, slit his wrist and died in his Madison Avenue office. Kristen Skoner, a Danish senior executive with HSBC Bank, hanged himself in the wardrobe of his 500 pounds a night suite in London. Many, many people, he said here, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, not put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. But to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. Command them. Paul is telling Timothy, command them. You see, no, not even tell them, not even cajoling them. Command them. Because if you have the concept that everything is your life, is a stewardship, everything belongs to God, then God should have the right over your life or everything that you have. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. So here it's very clear. It's telling us, don't be arrogant. Don't put your hope in wealth. Enjoy what has got... Enjoy what God has given to you. Use your money for good. Be rich in goodness. Be generous and be willing to share. Giving is more than a responsibility. It is a privilege. It is more than an act of obedience. It is the evidence of your faith. Someone said, isn't it? You can, you can give without loving, right? You can throw some money when you go some street or whatever, you can give money away without any love. Ah, just leave me alone or something like that. Just give a few dollars away. You can give without loving. But you can't love without giving because part of the definition of love is, is giving. 
So God doesn't look at just what we give, He also looks at what we keep. And God prospers us not to raise our standard of living, but to raise our standard of giving. 2005, I was in Macau. I attended a conference, and one of the speakers there was Rick Warren. He stood up and he said this. That is 2005. He said, in the last 10 years, three things happened to me. Number one, I became so rich. He said, because I wrote a book, Purpose Driven Life, Purpose Driven Church, I became so rich. Literally millions of dollars coming to me, he said. He said, what should I do with all this money? Number two, I became so popular. Everybody wants to see me. Everybody wants to invite me. Even the president wants to see me to, and ask me to be his advisor. Number three, my wife has cancer. He said, what do I do with my wealth? And what do I do with my fame? He said, number one, I sat down with my wife. We decide there and then we will not change our lifestyle. He said, I still drive my same old four-year-old Ford car. I live in the same house. My lifestyle never changed. I set up trust funds. All my traveling, all my, all my, uh, uh, so before that, he said, I calculated 25 years I've been, I served in this church. I calculated the salary that I've drawn from this church in the last 25 years and I returned back to the church. And then I set up a trust fund, he said. From now on, my team travel around the world is to use this trust fund to finance it. No one pay me any money to go and do this work. I sat down there, I said, wow. I said, what a guy. A mega church pastor who come out and say this. What a good testimony that is. Because God prosper us not to raise our standard of living. It is to raise our standard of giving. Martin Luther said, I've tried to keep things in my hands and lost them all. But what I have given into God's hand, I still possess. Walter Brueggemann, an Old Testament professor, says, Though many of us are well-intentioned, we have invested our lives in consumerism. We have a love affair with more and we will never have enough. Consumerism is not simply a marketing strategy. It has become a demonic spiritual force among us. And the theological question facing us is whether the gospel has the power to help us withstand it. Or are we Christians get sucked into it as well? I read about this guy reflecting later part of his life, and this is what he said. He said, I used to think when I was a child that Christ might have been exaggerating when he warned about the dangers of wealth. As a child, you haven't, got, you haven't reached there yet, you see? He said, but today I know better. I know how hard it is to be rich and still keep the milk of human kindness. Money has a dangerous way of putting scales on one's eyes, a dangerous way of freezing people's hands freezing people's eyes, freezing people's lips, and freezing your heart. And that is something we have to learn to. And the way I believe, before I close, to counter all this is to acknowledge that God is the giver of all things. And secondly, is to be generous in the way we give and invest in God's work. Father, we know that you are the giver of all things. Everything belongs to you. Our lives belong to you. Our money belongs to you. You have blessed us with much. 
And as the Bible says, much has been given, much will be expected. You 